We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The following is a conversation between Cheska Colorado Mansfeld, Executive Director of Miracle Feet, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving, on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. There are disabilities that children are born with, which are treated at birth in a fairly routine manner in the developing world. But in low-income nations, many of these disabilities are left untreated, with devastating consequences for both the individual and their family. Cleft palate would be one. Another is Clubfoot, which we'll be talking about tonight. And we'll do that with Cheska Colorado Mansfield, the executive director and co-founder of Miracle Feet. Good evening, Cheska, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Thank you so much, Denver. Start by telling us what is Clubfoot and what causes it. Yeah, so Clubfoot is another congenital birth defect. It affects one in every 800 children born worldwide. So the incidence rate is actually the same here in the U.S. or in Europe as it is in developing uh, countries. Um, The difference is that in developing countries, um, it is left untreated, while here in the U.S. it's routinely treated at birth. What clubfoot uh, causes for the child is that the feet are turned inwards and upwards. It can affect one or both feet. Um, And if left without treatment, it makes makes it very difficult and painful to walk properly. As a result, kids in low-income countries born with a condition who can't access treatment grow up unable to walk properly, um, which has incredible stigma associated with it in low-income countries. Often these children are excluded from going to school, joining in with family life, village life, community life. Um, And so their their future tends to be a downward spiral in terms of opportunity uh, to participate fully in life. Uh, Cheska, what are some of the primary barriers to treatment? So uh, two main barriers would be um, lack of understanding that this condition is treatable. So a child born in a low-income country, the parents may have no idea that this is actually something that can be treated relatively easily and completely. And so they don't seek access to treatment. And that lack of knowledge extends into the healthcare system where they may go to their local community health center or may ask the midwife, you know, what, what's wrong with my child's feet? They don't look quite right. Mm-hmm. And that those people may not even know that it's treatable. So they don't get good advice about seeking treatment when the child is first born. So that's one barrier. The second barrier is just a lack of understanding of how to treat clubfoot in low and middle income countries. Um, In the U.S., the gold standard treatment um, is something called the Ponsetti Method. It's a non-surgical treatment. It has wonderful results when done correctly. Um, But unfortunately, there are not many providers, healthcare providers in low-income countries that understand the method and have been trained properly in it and have all of the equipment and the ability to routinely provide that treatment. So it's both the knowledge and kind of the, the clinical capacity that are barriers um, initially. And then there are things like distance from the clinic. Yeah. You know, these, a lot of people live a long way away. It's hard for them to get there. You have to come back for multiple appointments. And so for a family with both parents working or with limited resources, that can also be a barrier. Well, enter Miracle Feet. Tell us about your organization and what was the inspiration for you to start it? So 
So I founded Miracle Feet with some other parents who had children born with clubfoot here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. They, their children were lucky enough to be treated um, with the Ponsetti method. And when they learned that children in low-income countries did not have access to treatment, they were horrified that something that seemed so simple to treat and had such extraordinary results um, was not available worldwide. Um, so together we connected um, about nine years ago My insp- to found the organization. My inspiration was that I had been, I'd been brought up in Africa and I'd always wanted to do something to make life better for kids in, in low- and middle-income countries, having seen the difference in opportunity between what my life looked like versus you know the, the people that we were living around um and i happened to be at the university of iowa where the doctor who developed this method dr ponsetti um was based and so i learned about it and 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 that was kind of the initial inspiration we started the organization as i said nine years ago and the way we work is to build up the capacity in countries that don't have the ability to treat clubfoot now. They're all low- and middle-income countries. But we work with the local doctors, the local physical therapists, the healthcare providers to give them the knowledge and expertise that they need to treat the problem in their country. Um, we also work on making sure, changing, uh, raising awareness of clubfoot and making sure that people understand that it's treatable. So we work on early referral mm-hmm. um, and identification. Um, and we also work on following up with the family to make sure that they complete the treatment so we don't get a kid who only starts and then never finishes. So we, we provide a really comprehensive program, but it's really based on building local capacity. So we're not putting a lot of American or European doctors on airplanes and flying them in to treat these kids. It's all happening locally, which means that hopefully the solution is there for the long term and is a much more sustainable solution to a problem that obviously we can't ever prevent children being born with clubfoot, but we can make sure they get treated. Yeah, well, those local solutions always work the best. Talk a little bit about the Ponsetti method. You've mentioned it once or twice, but uh, tell us exactly how that works. So, yes, it's a non-surgical method that can be started as soon as the child is born. Um, Ideally, uh, the kids start treatment in the first few weeks or months of birth. And the the doctor will manipulate the tendons and ligaments in the foot gently, um, really doesn't hurt the child, and then put a plaster of Paris cast on. They leave the cast on for one week, and the feet have moved 10 to 15 degrees. They repeat that process normally about three to five times, so over the course of three to five weeks. And then by the time they've done that, the feet are in a fully corrected position. Mm -hmm. At that point, though, they do need to do one little um, surgical procedure. It's an outpatient procedure done with local anesthesia, so very low risk to the child. And they um, release the Achilles tendon, which allows the foot to to sit properly flat on the ground. Um, At that point, the foot is fully corrected. The child can learn to crawl, can learn to walk, can go to school, can can play sports, do everything that any um, able-bodied child would be able to do. Um, However, there's one little catch, which is just like when you've had your teeth moved around for orthodontic treatment, Mm -hmm. um, you have to wear a retainer. Clubfoot is similar. And for the first five years, or while the child is under five years of age, the kids need to sleep in a brace at night. And that just stops the feet from relapsing. There's yeah. a tendency in some kids for their feet to push back in when they go through a major growth spurt, which happens a lot between zero and five. So wearing that brace at night, which just positions the feet in a slightly outward-facing position, uh, seems to prevent the relapse from happening. And But that requires us to do follow-up for five years. Mm-hmm. So they have to come in every few months, and, it, and you know the time period gets longer as they get older. Um, their feet grow, so they need a new brace, a new pair of shoes, um, 
so you know there, there are a couple of reasons why we want to see them back in the clinic but that does mean it, there's an added challenge in terms of follow-up with these kids but the treatment itself very effective very simple and because it's non-surgical it's very inexpensive yeah well, which makes it particularly appealing you know in terms of solving a problem mm-hmm. and what countries are you currently operating in so we work in 20, we have program, we support programs in 27 different countries around the world. They are where you would expect in terms of the, being in places where there are lower income countries. So in Central and South America, Africa, um, and Asia. Mm-hmm. What role is technology playing uh, in the work that you do and trying to scale the, uh, the program up to other countries? Yeah, great question. Where we're really um, leveraging technology, as I think uh, you know, many nonprofits working in the field of, of global health are doing. Um, we developed our own brace. Um, while that was not uh, using technology in, in terms of sort of you know computer or IT technology, um, we used design thinking to work with Stanford University to come up with a brace that we can produce for $20, um, which has all the functionality of the braces that are used in the U.S. that cost 350 to $1,000. So that was one innovation, um, and, and it makes sure that we can provide braces that are very high quality and easy to use at a low cost, which we give away as part of our program to the families. Um, we've also used technology. Um, we have a mobile a phone-based app to collect the patient record, so basically a, a medical record where we're able to collect the information about each child and make sure that our partners are delivering really high quality so we can track um, quality of treatment and outcomes for every child that we treat, but also obviously looking at that at a doctor level, a clinic level, a country level, so we know where to, to focus our resources and we know where to, which country might need help in a particular area. So if children happen to be dropping out during the bracing phase, we know that we need to invest more in parent education and follow up during that latter part of the of the treatment. Um, if the doctors are not are using uh, you know, more costs than we would expect, which we can see easily by looking at the medical record, then we know that, that, that we need to go back and do additional training in that particular clinic. So we use technology extensively in terms of monitoring the quality um, of treatment as we scale, and then obviously using that to um, focus where we put our resources, both time and financial. Yeah, well, let's talk um, about... The other area, sorry, one last area where we're using technology is um, that we are digitizing the, the, cur- the training curriculum, which we hope will make it easier to train more doctors at lower cost, which will obviously help solve this overall problem of having lack of access to treatment globally. Uh, Jessica, let me ask you a little bit about that philanthropic support, and particularly... How do you go about engaging people to support an organization uh, and a cause that I would presume the majority have no direct relationship with? That's very true. So most people um, who support Miracle Feed, and, and we've been very lucky to have a lot of both well, very generous uh, donors, some of whom do have a connection to it, but as you say, most don't. Um, and I think what really appeals to people about this issue is that it's a very easily identifiable problem mm-hmm. um, that can be easily fixed with a very with a proven but inexpensive intervention at birth, right? So you can change the future trajectory of a child's life very early on before any damage happens by making sure that they get access to this treatment. Um, If you're able to fix this child's feet, they're going to be able to go to school, they're going to be able to get a job, and they're going to literally 
be able to stand on their own two feet for the rest of their life in terms of not being dependent on other people because they can't walk properly um, and because of the stigma associated with, with disability in many of these countries. Um, so your return on investment, if you want to put it in those terms, is very high because you look at this, what it costs us fully loaded cost is about uh, $600. The actual cost in a country to treat one child is about $250, whichever way you look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, that person is going to pro- produce on average $120,000 of additional earnings over the course of his or her life, let alone the fact that they're going to be able to join in, be literate, run around, participate fully, right, and reach their full potential, um, which would be very difficult, um, sadly, living with any kind of disability in many of these countries. Yeah, that's a nice... So the return on investment is is something that people, um, that I think attracts people to this cause. And then the fact it's so tangible, right? This is mm-hmm. a child, and and by by supporting Miracle Feet, you're going to make sure that he or she has the chance to join in. And I, I think we all uh, can, can relate to that on an emotional level, um, that, you know, enabling a child to be able to run around, walk around, go collect water, play soccer, join in in playground games at school um, is, a, is something that would warm everybody's hearts. Yeah, well, certainly your work goes well beyond fixing feet. You're really transforming these lives. Why don't we close, Jessica, by having you share one of your favorite patient stories? Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, one, I think, that is... is a tragic story, but it has a very happy ending, but it really speaks to why this issue matters, um, was a child that we were able to treat in Tanzania. Um, and the parents had the child born with clubfoot in, in a rural village. Um, and they went to find treatment um, in, a, in a couple of different locations. But unfortunately, the people that they sought treatment from didn't know how to do it. So after a very frustrating, frustrating six months of somebody, you know, attempting to put casts on this child who didn't know what they were doing, there was no change in the child's feet. And the father became so desperate because he knew that the future for this child was going to be really grim if he, if he couldn't walk properly. He actually tried to murder his own child twice. Mm. The mother was able to protect the child and fortunately sought refuge in a hospital. And it happened to be the hospital that we had our program in. Um, and so as soon as this kid was identified as having club foot, the, hosp- you know, we were able, the, the, the local doctors there were able to treat the child. Um, and they kept the child safe in the hospital for a while. But eventually the, the child and the mother were able to return to the village um, and return to the family. Um, but that, you know, it, 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 while it's a horrifying story, I think it really speaks to why this is such an important issue and why we can have such impact uh, by changing awareness of it and making sure that there's easy access to treatment wherever you might happen to be born. Absolutely. Well, Cheska Colorado Mansfield, the executive director and co-founder of Miracle Feed, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. For listeners who are interested in learning more about your work or might be inclined to financially support it, tell us about your website and some of the information you have there. Yes, you can visit www.miraclefeet.org. It's just as it sounds, miracle and feet joined together. Um, And there's a lot of information about the way we work, um, the countries that we work in, about the Ponsetti Method. And, of course, um, you can click on the Donate button if you would like to support our work at any level. And every every dollar helps and every gift is greatly appreciated um, by us and the families whose lives we're able to change. Well, you're doing some incredible work. Thanks, Jessica. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Denver. I'll be back with more of the Business of Giving right after this. 
The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at Biz of Give on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash Business of Giving.